The well, Hayes vision, Maguire, it's free. Like, we have this aerial view of everything that's happening. I know, so but it's Hayes not like... Not, like he, he knows he's free. not passing the ball to Rio Ferdinand, I, right? I, I he knows he's in front of into this. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave for your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. It is Thursday's football show. Nathan with you this evening. We're going to chat to Aoife Mannion, who is a new recruit to the Republic of Ireland side, a Manchester United centre half, and uh, born in Birmingham, but very much a male woman. And she's going to talk to us about her career a bit, a bit later on. Uh, Jonathan Wilson is with us right now, though. How are you keeping, Jonathan? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How are you? Uh, Brighton nil, Manchester United nil, second half just underway. Pretty entertaining first half. Are you watching this? I'm actually watching the Udinese Napoli game. I, I had a just, feeling, I had a feeling. Because uh, Napoli just need a point to to, to seal the uh, Scudetto. And I, I don't know if you've been following it, but they were they were one nil down for a long time. Victor Osman has just scored, so it's one one. And I, I think what happened is that the ball he scored with has been taken off and immediately put in a velvet bag, presumably for safekeeping in case wow. that is the. I mean, because when the, when I saw the ref taking the ball off, I thought, oh, the ball must have burst, which is quite weird that it's burst just in the moment of scoring. But then, yeah, what, I think he was a Napoli official, put it in a velvet bag. So presumably they're keeping that for the club museum as the uh, the, the the ball that, with which the goal that's won the title uh, was scored. That's going to be valuable. You don't want some guy just getting it as it's put out of play for a throw and it never returns again. Well, it's, it seems a very sort of... Um, very Italian obsession with relics. I don't know. That, that was what, was what occurred to me. What's the value on that sort of football? You get? Oh, I mean, in Napoli, in Naples, it must be must be enormous. I, I mean, I don't know if they've got the ones of eighty-seven and ninety. I don't know. You'd, you'd think you'd hear about them, right? What I do know about um, the the this is a very odd story, but the um, when uh, eighty-nine ninety. Uh, when Maradona clears cocaine issue was was pretty bad, he would escape the drug testers. He had a had a fake penis with a with a with a bladder attached, and he'd fill that with somebody else's urine, and squirt that. And um, then, for for whatever reason, in '91, this went wrong, and he, he did get caught and, and gets the ban. But his his fake penis was taken to Argentina, and was uh, was in a museum in Buenos Aires, and it went on a nationwide tour in I think 2000 or 2001, and was stolen. <laughs> uh, so I, I just think there's a, there's a brilliant podcast series to be done, you know, in in, in search of Dega Maradona's fake penis and Bobby Moore's jersey. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's a very odd story as well. That's gone missing. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, yeah, I would listen to a six-part documentary series on Diego Maradona's missing fake penis. Yeah, well, who that wouldn't? Could be, that could be sense. your next book, surely. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do mention it in Angels Dirty Faces, but if anybody wants to pay me to to go and do the full investigation, in I've no even, I don't even know in, where in Argentina it was, but um, presumably not Buenos Aires. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much up for that. If any producers are listening, the stadium in Naples is pretty much full tonight. It seems they're showing the match on a big screen. Uh, I think most people who like football would like to be there this evening in some ways, but in other ways, I suspect it's going to be a little bit chaotic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been pretty crazy there for, for for quite a while. I mean, I guess the title's been effectively sealed for sort of a, a good month or so. I think that victory they had over Juventus, uh, what was that, the weekend before last, mm. I think that was when they sort of thought, right, even Napoli with all their sort of uh, demons that need slaying, all their superstitions, even they can't can't mess it up from there. So it, it does, from what you hear, it does sound like it's been 
been constant celebrations for the last 10 days or so. Uh, Victor Osiman got the goal you mentioned, so he's on to 22 league goals this season for Napoli. He, I expect, will be the centre of a lot of speculation across the summer. There's talk of Manchester United potentially being interested. Uh, from what you've seen of him at 24 years of age, just how good is he when you look at the top strikers around Europe? Leaving Erling Haaland out of it right now as a comparison. Yeah, I mean, which is fair because I think he is on a totally different level to pretty much anything we've ever seen before. Um, well, look, there's a caveat in Serie A and we've seen people like Lukaku score loads of goals in Serie A and then it hasn't quite worked when they've, in his case, returned to the Premier League. But yeah, Osimhen, um, he he's a... I, I think the number nine is coming back, at least... Uh, in a, in a sense that you know, we I think we've gone through our phase of false nines and and attacking or, or wide forwards. I think the Holland is is part of a, a move maybe back towards more traditional centre forwards. I think probably more mobile, more versatile than than, than previously. But he, but he does seem to have those virtues of a of an old fashioned number nine. He is good in the air. He is strong. He's good with his back to goal. He's got pace. Really good finisher. So I, I think he's I think he's really exciting. And I think he's the most exciting African striker we've seen for a long time. Which in terms of the Cup of Nations and in terms of Nigeria, I think is is hugely important as well. Mm, I think he's now the record African goal scorer in Syria in a single season, maybe surpassing the last great one in Samuel Eto'o. Unless we're including uh, Romelu well, Lukaku yeah, there. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't know that stat, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Eto at the minute is still a better player. That um, I guess the, uh, I mean Eto was at Inter, but obviously, yeah, the, the the peak of his career came later with Barcelona. Um, I, I guess a, a more physical striker than Eto. Um, I mean, Eto. I think the thing with Eto, it's it's very hard to sort of map in stats. Is his movement was so good, and I mean, I remember I was in. Um, was in Cairo in 2006 and uh, I, I hung around the Cameroon Hotel a lot begging them to let me interview with Eto and eventually they'd, they'd let me go up to his room and it was after training he'd gone to bed so he was just lying in bed but he was watching I, I don't know I, I don't even know what it was but some North African or, or, or possibly West Asia some, some Arab League game and it was a terrible standard he was watching that when I went in the room and uh, so I said to him, you know, what, what is it you're watching? And he, he said, I don't really know. I just know it's bad football. I'm like, why, why are you watching it then? And he said, because yeah, I, I, I need to, to work out where the space is against bad defences as well as good defences. And I thought that was such an interesting insight that yeah, if it's not just one run is the right run, wow. your movement is different according to the, the level and, and type of team you're playing against. Yeah, geez, that level of obsession is probably not something from afar you'd associate with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sort of really impressed me. I, I think, yeah, you think of him as being maybe slightly flash. I think there's a lot of stories with Cameroon that, yeah, he sort of tried to sort of um, assert his, his sort of authority there by giving them all watches because he could afford it. Um, but I, I think he had a very, very sharp football brain as well. And if the fact that he was able to, you know, when Messi came through and Messi started playing as, as that false nine, the fact that he was able to switch and play on the right, I think that suggests his intelligence. And I remember as well, that 2010 semi-final second leg at uh, at the Camp Nou when you know when Inter lost one nil, but that was enough to take them through. And when uh, Thiago Motta was sent off, Eto immediately 
without having to look at Maria Mourinho said this is when he knew he got the team trained properly was that he dropped back to play right side midfield and Goran Pandev dropped back to the left side midfield and they instinctively went to 4-4-1 without having to be told to do that and you know, Mourinho said that was when I, I knew that I'd got the, the the mindset in the team right they were making the right tactical decisions so I, I think Eto was a, a you know a very very tactically astute player as well as having the pace and the finishing when you talk about uh, the traditional number nine maybe coming back and like Hallam being the prime example, when you're looking around Europe tactically, are teams using that number nine in the middle of a four-three-three, is or is two up top coming back? No, I, th- I think it tends to be the four-three-three, and I think you'd still want them quite mobile because you, there are a you know, huge academy seem to spew out thousands of these um, very good technical attacking wide um, forwards. So, yeah, the, the likes of Salah, I, I, I guess, would be the, the best example in a, in a Premier League context. Um, I, I think where you see it is if you if you look at Bayern this season and the fact that they don't have, I know they've got cheaper Martin, but they don't have a really, really elite level centre forward. They really miss Lewandowski in a way that I didn't think they would. I think Nagelsmann didn't think they would. Uh, and I know it's partly Bayern yeah, briefing that... Yeah, when they're being asked why didn't you sign a replacement for Lewandowski it, it is partly their their spin to say well Nagelsmann said he didn't want one but I, I think I think he probably didn't I think you know, the, the nature of Nagelsmann players he, he hasn't really used one before um, and, and I, I think you know, that, that very fluid very flexible front three is is probably what, what he thought he was he'd be best served with the Bayern um, mm. and it, it hasn't really worked for them I think you know, their, their, their big problem is they create chances but they're not finishing them well it does put an awful lot of pressure on all of those players to score goals we look at Arsenal this season and the way that those three of Martinelli Odegaard Saka all well into double figures now can ease the pressure when Jesus isn't there and I guess that's the conversation we had all season around Erling Haaland that look at the dipping goals from everybody else at Manchester City since his arrival but I guess that conversation is dead in the water now as to his well, importance I, it, it, it's yeah I mean the last six weeks they played so well as a, as a team as a unit I mean I, I think they really have worked that out they've got that balance right and I think it's it's been the you know the 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 fascinating tactical thing from City this season, the the fact that Guardiola want, wants control, that's the way he's always played, is 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 try and stifle the game, try and try and absolutely control it through possession. But Holland needs the ball forward quickly. And even in the community shield, you could see immediately that that was an issue that wasn't quite gelling. And that first half of the season it didn't gel. And, and there was games they got away with because Holland scored brilliant goals. There was games they got away with because they're just a really good team and lots of really good players but it wasn't the same level of of authority and, and, and fluency we're used to and then it, it seems to coincide with, with Cancelo leaving which is a surprise I, I think certainly before the World Cup you'd say Cancelo was arguably the, the best performing City player but him leaving uh, using Ake at left back he obviously doesn't get forward as much he, he's not making that run in field I think Grealish is happy with that and that's like opened up the, the the possibility of a, of a better relationship between Grealish and Holland, uh, I think uh, De Bruyne and, and Holland, and De Bruyne had that post World Cup dip as well. Uh, I think they're now, yeah, that 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 relationship is very solid. I think yeah, there were signs of that early in the season, but really the last six weeks, two months, it's really really come together. And you look at City now, and you sort of think, well, how do you stop them? Um, yeah, previous iterations, you thought, well. 
they will dominate possession, let them have possession and just hope they don't take chances. But Haaland will take chances. Uh, and then that's, yeah, when, when defences focus on him, it creates chances for other people, whether that's Mahrez or Grealish or, or Julian Alvarez. He got the guard of honour last night onto 35 league goals or passes, Shearer and Cole. Historically, when you look at this 35 league goal, 51 goals in all competitions, still has potentially, what, nine games left this season to get to 60 goals in all competitions, which, saying last week, it's like, the Dixie Dean number was always something that felt like from a, a different world, a different sport of the 1920s and in no way relevant to modern football. When you look at all the great strikers that you've been watching over 30, 40 years, like, is this just something you never thought you'd see? Yeah, I, mean, I guess we've been softened up to it slightly with what Messi and Ronaldo have done in Spain, but mm. certainly in a Premier League context, you sort of thought, yeah, 30 goals per season is... I mean, I think he's only the fifth player ever to even get 30 goals in a season. So in fact, he's on 35 with... Uh, was it six games remaining? Five games, six games to go, isn't it? Mm. Uh, no, five, five games five now, games five, league, now, five yeah. in the league. Um, so, I mean, you'd almost think he's more likely than not to get to 40. Um, and, and yeah, I, mean, I remember when, when Clive Allen had that season when he got the 49 in all competitions in 86 7. And you sort of, I mean, obviously, I was a kid at the time, but you thought, then this is this is incredible, this will never be repeated. Um, and I, I'm sure that uh, Pongo Waring fans, uh, they, they they thought their man's record was safe, and and now that's gone. So, yeah, it's I, I you know I thought I thought he'd be good this season, and, I, and yeah, everything I'd seen of him at um, at Salzburg and, and and then at Dortmund, yeah, I, I sort of thought yeah, there's this 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 combination of physical power, pace, technical ability, it it, it I don't I, I yeah the only equivalent I think I've seen was Brazilian Ronaldo before the injury probably more pace than power but but you know he had the power as well um, and I really think there's only maybe been half a dozen forwards in, in the entire history of football that have had that combination um, and, and, and what what's happened to the others is they've always got injured mm. there's been something because they are so physically freakish and their bodies haven't been strong enough you look at Holland, there's absolutely no sign of, of any sort of since he's overstraining his knees or anything like that, so um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing to witness. Yeah, you you think in football you've you've seen everything, and then suddenly you see something that seems so simple and yet is is so so different. And nobody's looking at this and thinking it's not repeatable next season, as you said. Aside from an injury kicking in, like it feels as though if he stays fit next season, yeah, you know, we'd be expecting something similar. I mean, you'd almost be expecting him to, to better it because mm. I think you know, City as a whole have got better at uh, you know, working out how, how best to use him, how, how best to marry that with, with the control they have. And uh, you know, I think from a from a Champions League point of view, I think that's really interesting. The the, the sort of that tension between Guardiola's instincts and you know his his theory, and, and then the the sort of the the, the, the the almost sort of brutal simplicity of what Holland does, and I think that tension has been very creative and very productive. Um, we might not be saying that if they lose to Real Madrid, but but at the minute it feels like you, I just don't know how you begin to set out to stop this city. So yeah, ne- next season, you, yeah, you, you, there's no reason for him not to match it. And if if anything, he may go beyond it. It may be if Guardiola lets him play 65 minutes a game rather than 60 that he can you know hmm. he can go even further. Quite often, when a team or a player is as brilliant as this, you sort of think in the second season the opposition the level of coaching is so good now they will figure out a way to stop him and there's probably only been one 
what week long spell this season around the time of the Everton game and he seemed to be losing his temper a bit and defenders are getting in close to him and winding him up and you kind of <laughs> so, thought Whew. so hang on is your argument that Frank Lampard is a man who can stop him I'm, I'm just saying run, <laughs> me, run with me at this one uh aside from that where he had one week where he looked a little bit annoyed with life but still scored I'm fairly sure in that game as well uh, that no team has figured out a way to really counteract what he's bringing I don't know how you do because you know if you put a quick player on him he'll he'll beat you for power if you put a powerful player on him he'll beat you for pace and if you put a quick and powerful player on him he'll beat you for skill so I'm not really sure what, what you're supposed to do I mean maybe maybe Peak Van Dyke could have could have had a good one on one battle with him, um, but yeah, you, you look at how he. I know Rob Holding is not the world's greatest defender, but the way he just sort of brushed Rob Holding off for that first goal uh, in in you when know, in the in the four one win over Arsenal, I, I think the vast majority of defenders find themselves in that position. So you think, all oh, right, we'll we'll put two men around him, three men around him, but then you're just giving space to other City players, and yeah, this is City. Obviously, have you know. It's fast out the same. They have brilliant players in all positions, so you can't be giving them space. Listen, Jonathan, what he hasn't faced is a manager who's really at the cutting edge. <laughs> that, that's at the very top. There's nobody ahead of in footballing terms. Not Pep, not Klopp, not Arteta. None of these guys. And on Saturday afternoon, he's going to come face to face with Sam Allardyce and a Sam Allardyce defensive <laughs> setup. Uh, you, you, I, mean, I, you, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. This is, you know, the this has been. Yeah, the, the writing on this this season of the Premier League has been just brilliant. You know, Todd Bowley is is a great character. You think you know, he, the cameos have been great. You know, Nathan Jones, what what a great cameo that was. Oh, you know, cameo that's, that's sort of stolen the season. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, this sort of EastEnders Christmas special style sort of all all your favourite old characters coming back. You've got Roy Hodgson back. You've got Frank Lampard back. You've got Dean Smith back, and now you've got the biggest of them all, Big Sam, back. But Big Sam without Little Sam, because <laughs> the, 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 the ridiculous detail of him being on jury service at the time, which is, it's, and yeah, that that very sort of poignant line of uh, of Sam's yesterday. Uh, <laughs> he loves being with me, and I love him being with me. And yeah, so but the, the narrative power of Big Sam without his one tree love, trying to take on Erling Haaland and mes- maybe resurrect the title race on Saturday, it's it, you know, it, it, it would be one of the greatest moments of football history if if if, if they did. Oh my something. god! If they were to somehow go and win that game, I I would assume the odds are more uh, favouring a seven eight nil Manchester City <laughs> victory. It, like there's clearly no shortage of confidence and never has been with Sam Allardyce. When you do look back and, you know, Bolton does a very good job, gets him into the UEFA Cup, Newcastle doesn't really work out, but Blackburn probably starts to build that reputation on being able to keep a team in the Premier League, does all right at West Ham. Obviously, the England thing is in there as well. Like, Sunderland keeps him up. Very good. No, very good at Sunderland. I, I mean, Sunderland in, in the summer of 2016 in as good a position as they've been in for 20, well, in the last 20 years. Uh, and if if he hadn't gone to England, then yeah, I, I think Sunderland's recent history might have been very different. That the way he he turned that season fifteen sixteen around with with four very well, four signings in January, three of them turned out to be brilliant. One of them was fine, um, but yeah, he he knew where the players were he needed. He went out and got them, and he 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 got Sunderland playing in a very very effective way. And I think Sunderland fans were were 
were very, very sad to see him go. So um, it's sort of 50-50, I think, among the, the, well, the eight previous Premier League clubs he's managed as to whether fans liked him or not. But yeah, I, I, I think he's a little bit... Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. There's, there's, there's two things going on. There's, there's his opinion of himself, and there's a public opinion of him. And somewhere in the middle is the, the truth of where he actually is. Uh, yeah, he's clearly a very gifted manager. Let's, yeah, let's not forget in terms of data analysis, in terms of use of cryogenic chambers, he was actually a great moderniser. You have this idea that he's sort of, you know, some some dinosaur still still lumbering the fields of Dudley. Uh, you know, left over from the last ice age. It's, it's not entirely fair. Yeah, he 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 was very. Um, very, very much ahead of his time. In his time, I just fear that time may have passed. But for a four-game, what can you do? The dice, what can you do? Games against Newcastle within forty-eight hours. New, uh, sorry, City. Then Newcastle the week after, and then West Ham. Who didn't yeah. like him as well? Yeah. And, and the thing, yeah, you know, if if he does get something on Saturday, the team that benefits most is Arsenal. He pretty much hated him because they saw him as being sort of the the bully boy who kind of you know tried to kick them off the game. So it's it's just a, a, a you know a, a, a denouement of the season that could have been very anticlimactic has suddenly been enormously enlivened. God, I forgot about the Nathan Jones era. Those were glorious <laughs> days. Oh, I mean, some of the greatest press conferences the Premier League's known. Until until Sam returned yesterday. Until Sam returned. Nathan yeah. Jones doesn't even get the best press conference of the season anymore. <laughs> Dear God, it's still scoreless between Brighton and Manchester United. There are 65 minutes gone in Brighton. Uh, it has a weird sort of end of season feel to this, even with the way Sky have approached it and uh, putting cameras on players' heads as they walk onto the pitch and uh, cameras inside the dressing room at half time. And it's been very open, but it's still scoreless. Uh, what's the latest for Napoli? It's still 1-1. One, one, uh, and that'll with, do it. Uh, yeah, there's eight, well, uh, seven and a bit minutes of, of normal time to go and then whatever's added on. All right, we've got to leave it there. Jonathan, great stuff. Cheers, thank you.